podcast and I'm going to start with well I'm going to start with Detroit in Ruins it was that link that I gave you at the end of the last podcast well literally 24 hours after the podcast went up there was an article on a photography blog and it was going on about how Detroit in Ruins was basically ruined pornography it seems that a lot of photographers although I could only see two from what they listed in the article, were going along to Detroit and photographing those buildings. It seems as though it was quite a popular subject. And it made me think of when back when I was a student, quite a few years ago now, the popular subject for photography students and even some documentary photographers was the homeless. Um, virtually every single week there seemed to be a, a project that someone had done about you know the homeless or the work of the charities covering the homeless or how the police were dealing with the homeless and yeah it was homeless pornography as they would probably term it today it seems as though it's died out now there's probably a few people still going about photographing it after all it needs doing i mean even i've taken some photographs of the homeless in york um mainly because i don't think they should be there and we should still see these people and photography is one of the ways of doing it but usually there were just one photograph out of maybe you know 50 that I would take on the street so yeah I can understand where these people are coming from when they're saying about ruined pornography but um, at the end of the day I don't think they were particularly doing the photographers very much justice the reason why I like the pictures one was from an architectural point of view. Architecture is something I take a bit of an interest in. And the second reason was was I, I really do think that they have something to say about the state of a city, regardless of whether there's a great big flash building opposite uh, to where some of these crumbling buildings were, and that was one of the arguments. Oh, well, if you look out literally from uh, where the photographer took that picture and he you swing around 90 degrees or 180 degrees then you'll see a great big flash office building that has been there for, for years and people are going in. Well, doesn't that make it actually worse that there's this brand new building there and there's this old building that's crumbling away? Also, the other argument was was that some of the buildings, like the library, were going to be demolished. Um, that said, a lot of these buildings had been empty years. They weren't being used. Some of the books were still on the library shelves. And it's quite creepy. It's quite creepy, and it says a lot about the city where they are. So I don't think it was a complete fail on the photographer's part. I think they went into it with certain ideas, but all photography is biased in some way or form. Regardless of politics and things like that, it's down to the lens that you use, it's down to even down to the camera that you use. On certain, you know, If you decide that you want your pictures to look maybe slightly grainy, I know it's starting to get a bit more difficult now with modern digital cameras, but uh, when you used to use film, you know, if you use grainy film, that makes a picture look a certain way. If you use, um, if you like your pictures contrasty, like I do, uh, especially when I'm doing documentary work, that makes it, if you like using wide-angle lenses, if you like using telephotos, the way that you photograph somebody, you can be sympathetic to the way that they uh, they look. You can be unsympathetic. Um, so there's loads of ways that photographers manipulate things. The one thing that we certainly don't deal in sometimes is the truth. 
Uh, there was a rather good post on, I'll stick it on the website, the podcast page. When is a photograph a lie? And it was um, quite an interesting piece. It wasn't that long, but it was certainly very interesting where it looked at how photographs are not as honest as they first look. And the photograph that the photographer in question was talking about, you know, was you know quite an interesting picture. But he'd taken it a few years ago, and he'd come to the conclusion over time that he didn't quite like his motives for taking it so like I say it isn't always cut and dried photography there's an awful lot going in from the photographer and some of that can be well can distort what a photographer's uh, picture is trying to say so yes the ruined porn as it was called um, I thought was a bit of a poor argument really Sometimes there are photographers who seem as though they think too much, and rather strangely as well, they always tend to criticise uh, other people's work, and you never see their own. There's one photo blogger that I'm thinking of, he's a bit of a fine art buff, and he's always going on about other people's work and saying about how awful their work is, but uh, you never see any of his, or you don't see very much at least. Right... So what have I been doing in January? Well, a lot of the work this month has been going into my website, mainly the portfolio section. It's been a month of redesigning the website right from scratch. The old design first came along about 2009, 2008, so it's been there quite a while. And it was time for a change, I think. Um, The new site really is all about simplicity. It's about keeping the number of pages down there was far too many pages on the on the website and it was just getting too large so i've decided to cut down a lot of the pages that you know were were required by doubling up things and like i said in the last podcast you know things like the podcasts themselves are all on one page both the audio boo ones and these larger ones um so there's not going to be as many pages. The galleries are going to be far easier to update than they've ever been. So I've got absolutely no excuses, folks, if I don't keep the gallery up to date. And at the moment, I've been working on my territorial portfolio section. I did this shoot a few years ago, but I think it's probably one of the best photo essays that I did. Um... What surprised me when I was looking through the negatives to re-scan the pictures because I wanted to produce them uh, at a larger size on the screen than I I got, Uh, what I realised was was how many great pictures I'd actually missed out when I was doing the photos for them but also doing them for an exhibition. I think I was quite selective. Some of that was to do with some of the pictures would have needed quite a bit of work in a darkroom and I didn't have the time to do it at the time. But I think with Photoshop, it does open up the possibilities that you can revisit those pictures that you can easily do something with now that previously in a dark room would have taken, you know, an afternoon of work just to get one print. Uh, you know, the dodge and burn facility and the clone facility and things are absolutely invaluable sometimes just to get rid of marks that might be in 
rather difficult places to uh, eradicate a hair mark from if you were doing the photographic print. I'm going to be doing the extended galleries with three of the film projects that I did. There was a, a rally that I did, a motor rally up in Cumbria uh, that went into Scotland as well and was uh, the Rally of Wales was covered too and I'm going to look through that work as well and put basically the definitive uh, gallery for that together. There's uh, a Speedway uh, shoot that I did that I'm going to do the same with uh, I'm just going to go through there and really do the edit right from scratch so that any pictures that I think are good enough to get in there. Originally with my territorial project I used 25 images. There are currently 40 and I think there will be about 45 by the time that I'm finished with this gallery so it, it will nearly have doubled in size and like I say a lot of these photographs are uh, certainly good enough to be in there it's just that for some reason they didn't get picked okay so what are, are we going to do now well I think we will do the links and I'm going to start off with um, well the first one of course is the well it's the ruin porn of course and that was done on the Guernica site, which is sort of... I mean, you can probably tell by the t name of a uh, Spanish town that was literally blasted to pieces by the Luftwaffe during the Spanish Civil War. It's obviously got political connotations, but it does have some rather interesting pieces about photography uh, and politics. Sometimes I don't particularly like the idea of mixing the two. I think uh, a bit like oil and water, but some people do like mixing politics with their photography anyway I'll just put the article uh, link onto the website and you see what you think about it I personally think that the Detroit in Ruins you know is a pretty good uh, photography project it might not say too much about the present situation but it certainly shows how a city uh, city's fortunes can change in a remarkably short time the next link, ah, the next link, I'm just looking over at my laptop, folks. The next link uh, was found on the Telegraph website. Uh, some really good photography on the Telegraph. It's not exactly one of my favourite papers uh, in Britain, but, um, you know, it does have some pretty good photography on there from time to time. And it was the kite aerial photography of Eric Keeboom. Uh, who's Dutch, and he's used a specially designed kite to take aerial photographs in Holland. And the work is pretty amazing. It's probably... It'll be very interesting to see how it worked. I don't know whether he just takes the camera up and just remotely fires it and just sees what he gets, or whether he's got some way of monitoring the picture that he's going to get. Uh via a radio link or something like that I don't know, probably not, he's probably just going up there and shooting away and just seeing what he gets, after all with a large enough card in the camera, you know you can have uh, as many shots really as you probably ever want to have or need so that's a rather, rather good link um, I must admit you know, the some of the images that he's, he's produced are absolutely fantastic uh, 
one of my favourite ones, if I can find it, was just looking along the coast. Ah, here it is. Getting a closer look at people ice skating on the Patterswalder. Patters. Pat. Well, my pronunciation is terrible. Patterswalder, say, Mia. I think I've said that right. If there's any Dutch listeners, I am incredibly sorry if I pronounce that wrong. But it's just fantastic. It's just the way that the, the white line of uh, where they're skating just heads off into the distance, a gentle curve. It's just a fantastic, fantastic looking image. Like I say, it'd be very interesting to find out how he worked and how uh, Eric actually managed to take the photos. Uh, I mean, surely to take something like that, he must have some way of seeing what the camera's seeing, but maybe he doesn't. Second one, Danny Lyon, El Paso, 1972. This one uh, on a blog. Uh, a blog that I would certainly recommend you follow if you don't already. It's John Edwin Mason. He's a documentary motorsports photo history. Uh, knows a lot about photography, does John. I think he does a bit of lecturing as well. I think he's a lecturer um, in photography. But he has a fantastic blog. And he did this piece about Danny Lyon, a photographer I'm not familiar with. But after seeing these photos, I retweeted him and uh, retweeted the the link. Um, I was that impressed with the Kodachrome pictures. And the Kodachrome is a fantastic, or was a fantastic film, I should say. But the pictures were certainly excellent uh, and they said a lot about you know the community and the people there's a lot of cars featuring the picture certainly anyway on John's post uh, and 1972 of course was the year I was born so that sort of makes it slightly more interesting for me but there's plenty of images on there to, to take a look at uh, Thunderbird Club in background you know where the it looks as though it's a drag race or something like that. Anyway, it's a fantastic piece of I don't know documentary photography of a community shot on Kodachrome, which is sadly no longer with us. Uh, and really, it was a great way of just signalling the end of a fantastic film that certainly made a great deal of difference to photographers when it was first released and it's loved I imagine there's probably people out there mourning the loss of Kodachrome I know a lot of photographers probably some of them have moved on to digital but a lot of photographers, film photographers absolutely used to adore Kodachrome okay the next link is New York City Coffee House uh, Dima Gavrish's pictures on Lens, the Lens photo blog. Uh, Dima's pictures, you know, of a coffee house, coffee houses, you wouldn't exactly think were that exciting, would would you really, uh, at first thought. But, you know, she's, she's managed to, you know, uh, capture the essence, the feel of a lot of these coffee shops. And let's face it, New York is pretty well known for its coffee shops and its coffee. Um, there's only about 11 pictures listed but each one of them is a really really strong image it's, it's, she's got a great one uh, 
The title is Blue Bottle Coffee in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Um, and it's sort of taken from underneath... It's a very unusual angle. It's a very strong image. But it's just a, a great photo essay that looks at, at much at the way people use coffee shops. Uh as it is about the coffee itself. In fact, I would actually argue that the coffee is probably in the background. It's all about how these places are important for social interaction still. Maybe more so now that we're getting into the era of Facebook and Twitter. Let's face it, going down and meeting a friend in a coffee shop is far better than talking to them for half an hour on Facebook. Right then, this final link is for a multimedia piece, and it's one of the best multimedia pieces that I've seen in quite a while. It's certainly becoming more popular online with uh, pages like uh, the New York Times. I mean, their Lens Photo blog often have uh, multimedia on there. This piece I came across on the Duck Rabbit blog. If you just type Duck Rabbit as just one big word into Google, you will come up with uh, a rather good blog that deals with all sorts of photography matters, but uh, the people there sort of like specialise in putting multimedia together. That's their thing, and they're pretty damn good at it from what I can see. <clears throat> the link that I found there was for a BBC World Service uh, piece. It was done by a photographer called Dahlia Kamisi, and he'd attempted to document what had happened to thousands of people in Lebanon who were kidnapped and disappeared during the Lebanese Civil War of the 1970s and 1980s. It's a very emotive story. He gets to talk to families, mothers in particular, of uh, people who disappeared. And he also even gets to talk to someone who was responsible for arranging some of the disappearances, someone who knows where some of these people are probably buried, um, which is quite a feat in itself. So it's a broad mixture of great photography, great audio, great story and great presentation, which I think is key now for a lot of photojournalists to get their work across. This is definitely something that you should take a look at, especially if you're interested in photojournalism, because this is a way that multimedia should be done. Right, that's it for this month's podcast. As usual, the links can be found in the usual place, and that is at darker-skies.com forward slash podcast and you can also find some of the older podcasts on a player and links and various other different things on my new website of course my brand new sparkling shiny website and that's at richardflintphoto.com forward slash podcasts and that's got all of the links to darker skies and everything that you could possibly want so until next time folks Thanks for listening and I will see you all next month.